You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Joshua chapter 6. You can drop down to verse number 18. We're just going to read a couple verses there, and then we're going to read Joshua chapter 7, verse number 1. So we're kind of skipping to the end, and then we'll back up all the way to the beginning and kind of go through some things here before we get back to our passage uh, this evening. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 18, the Bible says, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now drop down to chapter 7, verse number 1. The Bible says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for a wonderful day that you've given us today in your house. Lord, I'm grateful for the church that we have here in Sioux Falls, Eastside Baptist Church. I'm grateful for the people that make up this place. Lord, the the fellowship and the friendships and the camaraderie that we have because of you, because of what you've done for us. Um, These friendships and these companionships don't have a rival within the world. And we know it's because of you. And Lord, I'm just grateful for what you've done here. And I pray that you'll take this time this evening Um, to, as we open your word, help me to say the things that are beneficial to us, things that would help us in our Christian lives. Lord, help me to get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through his word. We love you and thank you for all all you've done and all you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here, the the verses we read are at the end of the, the famous account of Jericho, the Battle of Jericho, the Battle of Ai, um, junior church kids will, will probably know this really well. They could probably sing the song about the walls come tumbling down. Um, we will not, I will not be performing that for you this evening. You're welcome. Um, but the Battle of Jericho we're familiar with. So we're backing up to what led to these, these instances here where the Lord says Israel has sinned and trespassed. We have the Battle of Jericho. They come in and Joshua is now in charge of the children of Israel. And their first big battle is this giant city with huge walls around it. And they have tents and a tabernacle. They don't have anything, any concrete buildings that are permanent as far as Israel goes. And they come to this giant city and God says, it's yours. And they believe him. The whole country, Joshua, Caleb, everyone that's involved now, all those that didn't believe that God would take care of them, they're off the scene. And we have a new generation of people, of God's people, that are ready to go in and conquer the land that God said is theirs. And so they stand before this city of Jericho and God gives Joshua instructions on how they're going to conquer this. And he does not say, get out your crossbows, get out your swords and your shields and your AR-15s. He says, keep those in the tent. We don't need those. You just need your trumpets and your voices really is all you're going to need. And he gives them, you know the story, he gives them the instructions to march around the city once a day for six days in a row. Be quiet, don't say anything, just march around the city, go back to your tents at the end of the night. Then on the seventh day, march around the city how many times? 
Seven times. And on the seventh time, what are they supposed to do? Blow those trumpets and scream and shout and yell. And God says, you do those things, and what happens? The walls crumble. The walls fall to the ground. They don't hit, hit one brick in that wall. They just blow the trumpets, scream and yell, and God destroys the walls of their enemies and brings it down. And they're able to go into the town, go into the city and destroy it. Take everything, take everyone out and conquer that city. It's, I mean, it's a miraculous victory. God has done a miracle. And, you know, if you study, if you look into Jericho, it's a real place. It still exists today. Um, and it's a, it's a different place now. But some people say that, oh, they're not really sure that this actually happened. Because how could it, right? It doesn't make sense that a whole wall, all the walls would come tumbling down. But obviously God did it. God said he did it. And so I believe that it happened. But God did this and he gave a, a great miraculous victory to the children of Israel. And, and Israel after this is feeling emboldened, confident. I mean, they just took down a city. Obviously, God took down a city by just walking around it. And they won. They were able to go in and everyone was taken out and it became their stuff and their thing. They're, they're starting to conquer this land. They're very confident. Now, God tells them in verse 18 that we read, he says, now don't take anything. He says, you're going to be tempted. You're going to want to because they have nice stuff, real nice stuff. But don't take it. It's accursed. It does, it, no one gets it. We're going to burn it all with fire, everything. But the gold, the silver, the valuable things, the Lord is getting those. Those go to the Lord. Those are consecrated to him so they can build their wealth and start to build what God wants to build. But the things they don't get personally, very clear about it. He was very clear to Joshua, and Joshua was very clear to the people as he was preparing them to go to battle. Now, if you notice reading this, this scripture, all the men of war, even though they didn't go to fight a battle for the walls, all the men of war marched around this city. Every single one that was capable and a man, and they were men of war, they marched around this city. So it was a lot of men that did this. That's how they went in and destroyed the city, and they told them not to take anything. One man that was part of this group of men of war was Achan. And we read about him in chapter 7, verse number 1. But here we have Achan, an Israelite, a man of war, just like everyone else, excited about this new land, understanding what his fathers did and didn't believe, that he is ready to go in and conquer this for his people, for the Lord. He's on board. He's fired up. He's excited about it. He marches around the city. He sees the walls fall. He goes in and does what God says, but he sees some cool stuff while he's there. And for whatever reason, which we'll talk about here in a minute, for whatever reason, he forgot or ignored what God had said, what Joshua had said from God about taking anything. He was very specific. But Achan saw some stuff he thought was cool. He took it, and as we know in the story, he puts it in his tent, digs a hole, buries it, hides it under the blankets in his tent. Now, again, Israel doesn't know this. Achan knows it. Um, his family might know it. But only he is the only one that we're aware of that disobeyed God in this, in this action. So they, they're happy. They won this battle. Now the next city, next one on the list is Ai. Ai is way smaller than Jericho. Way smaller. They go scout it out just like they did for Jericho. They come back and like, Joshua, this, this place is going to be easy compared to, to Jericho. I mean, I don't think they were being proud like we can do it. I think they're just saying, did you see God just destroyed the walls? We really had nothing to do with it. So we don't really need everybody to go. We don't need all the men of war. We just need, let's say, 3,000 people. 
So they took 3,000 people. Joshua said, okay, we have, we have faith, we have confidence. God is going to do this again. Why wouldn't they believe it? Right? Why wouldn't they think that? They just saw what God did. They were trusting and had faith. And so they get 3,000 men and they go up to, to Ai and they get whooped. They just get completely whooped and they, they end up running for their lives. For whatever the reason is, and I think it's a miracle too, they, they can't succeed. They can't overcome. They're just every turn, they're there already. When they're ready to, to, to go in here, there's someone there blocking them and there's nothing they can do to overcome. So they end up running away. And while they're leaving, 36 men die. 36 men get killed. And I think it's easy for us to read, especially through the Old Testament, of the battles and the numbers that God gives us and go, 36 men, that's not much. Out of 3,000, that's not much at all. Okay, let's just take 10 of us and 10 of us are dead. Would we all be okay with that? If 10 people in this room died between today and Tuesday when we all see each other again, I'm pretty sure we'd be devastated. Just totally devastated that 10 people within our group of people have died. And, they, and we could say, ah, 36 out of 3,000 out of how many of her hundreds of thousands there are, not a big deal. But it is. 36 people no longer live because, as God tells them here in a little bit, sin. And so they come back whooped and they say in verse number five of chapter seven, it says that their hearts were melted and became as water. I mean, think about it. They just, they just destroyed a, a huge town. It's like coming to Sioux Falls, destroying Sioux Falls, and then, I don't know, going, going down to Canton and being like, we can take Canton. We just took Sioux Falls and Canton whoops us. And we're like, Israel's like, what, what is going on? We just, we just took down, God just protected us. God just won for us. I do believe they don't think it was of them. I do think they thought, knew God did it. And so we don't need as many people because God's going to do it again. And then it doesn't happen. And so they come back and tell Joshua what happens. And Joshua's weeping. I mean, he's devastated. He, they, the, him and the elders rent their clothes. And they go to God and they say, Why? Lord, why has this happened? Why have you allowed this to happen? And God answers in, in verse 11 of chapter 7, if you still have it open. Joshua's like, what, what's happening, Lord? Why would you allow this to happen? In verse 11, God says, Israel hath sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also. And they've put it even among their own stuff. So if you remember back chapter 6, verse 18, again, God is very specific about what not to do. I mean, it wasn't like you can have this one, this one, this one, but not that one where they would mistake it. God says nothing. You get, don't take anything for yourself. There's really no mistakes. But, he, but we have Achan that does. So God tells Joshua someone has, has not obeyed the Lord and he has a plan. He tells Joshua, okay, here's what we're going to do. Obviously, God knew exactly who had done it, but he had to, to show his people that sin is not acceptable, that sin is not okay. So down to verse number 16 in chapter 7, here is, here is how we find out who did it. Verse 16 says, so Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Tsarites, and he brought the family of the Tsarites man by man. And Zabdi was taken, and he brought his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, again, man of war, part of the Israel, Israel 
war band. Uh, verse number 19, Joshua said to Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to God, to the God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw the spoils of a goodly Babylonian garment, and took two and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was in his tent and the silver under it. And they took him out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned his fierceness of his anger, wherefore the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, unto this day. So here we have a, I mean, terrible, terrible story of one of God's people, God's men of war, integral part, I believe, of, of Israel. Of, I mean, the house of Judah, the tribe of Judah, the, 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 that's where Jesus comes from, right? There's some pride in that. There's some pride in being part of that, that tribe and that family. And we get his dad's name and his grandfather's name and his great-grandfather's name. Four generations of, of, of his family, and he kind of drug it through the mud. All for one garment, literally one garment, some silver and some gold that he coveted, said he had to have by his own admission. God said destroy everything, so the garment should have been destroyed and the, and the silver and gold should have been given to the Levites, should have been consecrated unto the Lord. And we look at Achan and we think, how foolish, what a foolish individual. And we would be right in doing so. He, he was foolish and it... It cost him. He disobeyed God's clear command. It cost him his life. It cost his family their lives, their things. Their, I mean, his whole family was, was nothing because of his choice, because of his decision. So a few things that I want to point out in our lives considering this story that we all, we're all familiar with. We understand it. I think sometimes we, it becomes a children's story. And we, we miss some of the teachings that God has for us as Christians today. We're not marching around any walls, right? God doesn't say we have to not take things or we have to be killed or stoned. You know, things are a little different for us here in America. But the, the point here is, the very first point I have is who, who will obey? Who will obey? Here we have Achan that was given a very clear, direct command on what not to do. And he just straight up disregarded it. I mean, he didn't even try to pretend. He just straight up went against specifically what God said, don't do, he did. So when we look at our lives today, you know, how, how is your life with God's expectations with you, with us? 
You know, God expects things from us. There are, there are many commands that he gives us in his word for us as New Testament Christians. And here's, we're, all, we're all human, and we sin, and we, we fail God's commands and disobey his commands probably more than we would be, we'd wish to admit to. But as Brother Jeremy was talking about with the soil of our hearts, when we get into a place where we've got sin in our lives, we've got things in our lives that aren't, aren't what God wants for us, or maybe even direct opposition to what God says he wants for anybody, but we live with it and we, we deal with it. So how are you doing as, as a Christian? How are you doing as a teenager? How is your life today concerning God's commands to you for, for your parents, for how you should live your life, for how you speak, for how you think, for what's in your heart? The things that are available to all of us can, can tarnish our hearts, can tarnish our minds. How, how is that with you today? Look at Achan. He disobeyed God, and what happened? How are you today? Adults, it's not just teenagers, adults. How are you? Husbands, how are you doing? How's your sin life? We always ask how your prayer life is, how your Bible reading, how's your sin life? I mean, it shouldn't be good. Hopefully, hopefully it's, you're working on that. It's not something to be proud of, but how's your sin life? We all have sin in our lives. It's not something that we ever attain and all of a sudden we don't deal with it. We always will. And, and teenagers, you'll never get to where you hit an age and no longer struggle with it. You'll struggle with it forever. But how's, how are you doing, husbands? How are you doing, wives? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, whoever you are, how, how is your sin life today? How is your obedience level to Jesus, to, to what God gives us in his word? How, what's the condition of the soil of your heart? Is it hard? Is it stony? Is it thorny? Or is it, is it ready? Is it open? Is it willing and, and ready to be used? <clears throat> like Brother Jeremy says, we probably have a little bit of everything in our hearts. And we want to have more good soil than, than the others. But it takes effort. It takes work. Achan and Israel, Achan and Israel, they're entering into a land inhabited by people who didn't know God. Or if they did know of him, they didn't care about what he, who he was, what he said, what he did. They, tell me if this sounds familiar. They're entering into land that didn't care about God. They didn't care what he said. It didn't matter to them. They didn't live by who he was. They lived their life for themselves and whatever they wanted to set up as worship for themselves. A lot of them, it was them. A lot of them, they had idols, things, substance. They lived life for them. But God's desire for his people entering into that nation, into, into that land, was to not live like the world lived, but to live like God wants them to live, to worship him, to have him as their God, and to do what he said. But we today, same situation. We live in a world and more and more a country that does not care about our God. We live, we live in a world and you might work in a place that doesn't care about your God at all. Maybe even actively hate, not just apathetic towards your God, but actively hate your God and work against what your God says and what your God wants and what your God does. What God says is right and wrong, they don't care about. They, again, they'll op, op, purpose do the opposite. They'll, talk, they'll call what is wrong right and what is right wrong because they hate God so much. They don't care what God says is truth. Just like Jericho and Ai, they didn't care about Israel's God, what God said was true. We live in a world that they don't care. 
what God says is true or not. It, it matters not to them. It's all about what they think is true and what their truth is. And if your truth or God's truth interferes with their truth, then you're the enemy. Get out of my way. That's the world we live in today. Achan, in this moment, as he entered that world, he cared more about his wants and maybe even thought God might have been holding out on him by not allowing him to have the nice things in Jericho. He might have looked at those things and said, why is God not letting us have, look at this nice Babylonian garment. My wife would look amazing in this thing. She deserves it. She's a hardworking woman. We have sons and daughters and oxen. And I mean, she's hardworking. She deserves this garment. Why is God trying to keep it from us? I'm going to take it. I worked hard. I sacrificed my life. I put my life on the line to come out here and, and battle. And there's a silver just, it's just laying there. I sh I'm not going to take a lot, but it, I, I deserve it. Why is God trying to hold out on me? And he could have thought that. I don't know that that's what he thought, but it's a possibility. He was human. And I try to put myself in his position. And maybe those are some thoughts that I might have. That either one, God's not going to care. He didn't really mean it. We do that. We say, man, Aiken, dumb, you idiot. Of course he meant it. He said it. How many things has God said to you and about that you should do and we just ignore it too? All the time. All the time. Aiken's not much different than us. We're not much different than Aiken. So what's in your life? What's in our lives that we know God says no to? We know God doesn't like it. But we kind of, we, and we struggle with it. Maybe we try to, we put it out of our life for a while, but it creeps back in. And we let it be there for a little bit. And then we feel, hear a sermon and we feel guilty, so we put it out. But not so far out of reach that we can't just grab it and bring it back in if we want to. What is it that God says no to that you want it? you got to have it. And you're trying to keep it in your life. Or what are the things that God is trying to keep from you and you think that's unfair? Why are you trying to keep that from me, God? They're having so much fun. That lifestyle is enjoyable. That kind of music is enjoyable. I want to listen to it. It speaks to me. It makes me feel good. Why, why can't I listen to this kind of music? Why can't I watch these things? I enjoy them. They entertain me. They're fun. What's wrong with them? It's, it's not doing anybody else any harm. But God says, keep those things from your eyes to avoid all appearances of evil. And we try to walk away around it. We try to justify why we can have it in our lives. And God's just saying, obey. Obey me. And we're like, eh, nah. Just like Achan. Achan's like, nah, either he doesn't mean it or I, God doesn't know how hard I work, I'm going to take it anyway. And we live in a world that they want us to do that. If they can tear us down and take away what we believe from what God says, make them one of us, we could be one of them, victory for them, victory for the devil. He can take you out, take you out of service, take you out of contention, take you out of any opportunity for you to do something that lasts eternally because of stuff, because of thorns that choke out what God is trying to do in your, in your life. And we all have those things in our life and we excuse them. And parents, if you excuse stuff in your life, how do you expect to tell them and the younger ones that they shouldn't do those things? Or they shouldn't do the new thing that you would never do, but they will do. How are we going to tell them? Follow God, keep sin out. If sin is part of our life that we struggle with, and I know we're going to struggle with sin, but we shouldn't keep it and baby it and pretend like God doesn't care. God cares about sin in your life. He 
desperately cares. He, he is holy. He cannot stand sin. It, it, it doesn't equate, not even a little bit, but we live with it. We live with that sin. We baby it. We, we use it. We feed it. We grow it. We, we, we try to make that seed of sin, we grow it as big as we can in our life because we like it and we want it. It cost Achan his life. And potentially, I mean, there are scholars, different thoughts on whether their whole family was stoned or just him. But either way, it didn't go well for anybody. If they weren't stoned and killed, which I kind of believe that they were, they no longer had a father. They no longer had a provider. And their fam- they lost everything they had because God does say he burnt it all. People paid. So the first point is who, who will obey? Achan didn't obey. How, how's your sin life? The second point is who will pay? It rhymes. It's real good. Don't get the third point doesn't rhyme though. I couldn't think of anything. But whatever, spoiler. Who will pay? Right? Who will obey? Achan didn't. Achan didn't obey. He he went into a country and a and a and a land that didn't care about his God, and he lined up right with them and disobeyed God's direct commandment. How are you doing? How's your sin life? Who will pay? Thirty-six Israelite men died because of Achan's sin. So now you take those 10 people that died right in our church and I say between now and Tuesday and oh dear Lord, please don't let anything happen to anybody here. But just say something were to happen and then we find out Brother Samuel was driving the bus and he just drove it right off the road. Right? He, he just disobeyed. The, it would not happen. I've seen him battle the, the winds of Oklahoma. He's, that's not going to happen. But just say that it was somebody's fault that those 10 people died. Right, it was, and he survived, right? But everyone else died. And it wasn't just we lost 10 people. It would be devastating to lose 10 people out of here. It'd be devastating to lose anyone. But just to, to say they lost 36 people and there was one person whose fault that was. It wasn't even bad weather, bad driving, a mistake. It was intentional. Achan intentionally disobeyed God and it cost 36 men their lives. It destroyed 36 families. 36 families potentially lost a dad, lost a husband. If there were no children in that family, his lineage no longer continues because Achan didn't obey. And we flippantly disobey all the time. We flippantly disobey. I think of how I flippantly disobeyed my parents when I was a teenager. And I won't pin it on any of you because I don't, hopefully you don't do that. But I remember me as a teenager, my dad would tell me to do things sometimes and I would flippantly disobey or I'd try to get around it. I'd try to find a way to do it anyways, whether it's deceptively or as or you get older and bigger, more boldly, more in your face, even worse, more rebellious. And we do that all the time. We do that to God. How dare us? How dare we? Who do we think we are? Achan paid for it. He disobeyed. It cost people their lives. The disobedience we have in our life, someone has to pay for sin. Now, God forgives us our sin, right? Jesus died on the cross for us. And we're going to talk about next week in in Resurrection Sunday. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. Sin, once you accept Christ's gift of salvation, you're forgiven. You don't have to pay for your sins in eternity. It's done once. God is capable of taking all the sins you've ever committed and paying for them himself. And when you put your faith in him, he takes care of those things. Done. You don't have to pay for your sin for eternity. But there are consequences for sin on this earth. There are consequences for sin in relationships. 
There are consequences for sin in, in your just general well-being and health. God does not, he's not flippant about sin. And I think sometimes we forget how serious God takes sin. How seriously, I mean, his son died to pay for your sin. And we go back to sinning. We go back to wickedness. We have that thing that we've just got to have that we know God's not in favor of, but we baby it and we nurture it and we grow it and we live with it. And sometimes we live with it outwardly for everyone to see, see and say, do something. <sighs> Can you imagine if Achan, now Achan was humble when he got called out and he confessed his sin, but can you imagine if Joshua called him out and he says, yeah, and, and what of it? I wanted it, I took it, what are you going to do? Can you imagine if that's the attitude he had? But sometimes we have that attitude with sin. We might not say those words out loud, but the fact that we don't repent of it, that we find new things to get into, that's what we're saying to God. We're saying, and what are you going to do, God? And God is so merciful and long-suffering and gracious to us, and nothing happens, and we're like, yeah, God isn't going to do anything. But someone's going to pay. You have to pay. Someone has to pay consequences of sin. It doesn't go away. 36 Israelites died because of Achan. Achan lost his life because of his disobedience. All his earthly possessions, including the Babylonian garment, were burnt with fire. Everything he owned was put into a pile and lit on fire. All his earthly possessions. His whole family. All, all his sons, his daughters, maybe even his wife, not just, I mean, stoned and burnt. So many people paid the consequences for Anakin, or for... <laughs> How do you move on for that? Uh, oh, Lord. Uh, help me. Okay, for Achan's, <coughs> wow, Achan's, so many people paid the consequences for Achan's desire to take what God said no to. Now, I know it's going to be hard to be serious again after that, but God said no, and Achan said, I don't care, and it cost people their lives. When you sin, it costs you it definitely costs you. It costs you and your relationship with the Lord. And, you know, honestly, if we're sinning and we're in that life, we're like, ah, eh, whatever. I don't have a relationship. I can live without it. You don't realize how much you need a relationship with the Lord. Even when things are good, I don't think we fully understand what that means. To have an actual relationship with the God of all the universe, that's a big deal. That's a necessary thing in our life. That's a a thing you can't live without, and we take it for granted so much. So even if that's all we pay for and is our relationship with the Lord, that's, that's enough. That's, that's a big price to pay. But you'll pay for that in your, in your relationship with the Lord. But other people might pay for your disobedience. And, and like I mentioned, God is merciful to us. He is long-suffering, more than we deserve. But we cannot expect to have parts of our lives opposite, in direct opposition to what God says in his word, and not expect there to be results from that. It's illogical. You could not operate in a business, in a, in a financial world, in any kind of other thing in life, and do something in direct opposition to what is expected and what works, and expect no consequences and no results. 
And it's no different in our spiritual lives. Open disobediences have consequences. Our attitudes and our thoughts even. Things that might not be seen outwardly, right? I'm not out drinking in the parking lot, vaping in the bathroom, right? I'm not doing something that you can see, but I might have thoughts of anger or bitterness towards somebody in my life. And it may consume me. And God tells us to forgive one another. But we don't. We struggle with those things. We struggle with forgiveness. We struggle with those inner sins that aren't necessarily shown outwardly, but they can consume our hearts. They can consume that soil, right? If we're, if we're content to leave the soil that Brother Jeremy talked about as is, right? No, no, no desire to, to, to till it, to make it viable and useful to him. Who could pay for the price for that? Who could pay the price for our, our inability, our un, undesire to make things good with the Lord? Your disobedience will affect those around you. Teenagers, when you disobey, when you sin, when you sin, teenagers, it affects your parents. It affects your parents. Deeply, deeply affects your parents. It hurts them. They desire and bring you to church and want to raise you in the, the way of the Lord and you just flippantly do what you want because you know better. You've lived all of 15 long, wonderful years on this earth where five of them you couldn't even go to the bathroom by yourself and 10 of them you didn't even know how to eat by yourself and you're still eating chicken nuggets and baby food today. No offense, Ashton. But you... I love Ashton and that's why I know I could do that. But you sin, and you think you got it figured out, and so you'll listen to the music you want to listen to, and you'll watch the shows that you want to watch, and you'll dabble in the things that you want to dabble in, because mom and dad don't know any better. They're just trying to keep things from me. They're trying to keep things out of me that I want to do. They want to keep them from me. Sounds like something Aiken might have thought about God. God's trying to keep this nice garment from me and this silver and this gold. I'm going to take it anyway. That's the attitude you have when you sin and your parents are affected by it. Your siblings are affected by it. How dare you set a precedent as a sibling to sin and show your younger siblings that that's okay. Who do you think you are? Sin is sin and there's consequences for it. It, it matters to people. It affects people. It affects your parents. It affects your teachers. Brother Samuel prays for you. He prays about what he's going to preach about and teach about. And you zone out in class. And when you get in the car and mom and dad are like, what'd you learn about today? Uh, I don't know. That, I mean, you could say that's not just sin up front, a bold sin, but what a waste. What taking advantage of someone's time and effort that they put into things and just, eh, it means nothing to me. It doesn't penetrate my, the hard heart, the soil that's trodden down and you don't allow it to get in there. He spends a lot of time in that and it's not... He, wouldn't, he doesn't care. He'd spend twice as long because what he has is what God has and he knows it'll bless you and it'll fix your life. It's not just the four rows here. It's teenagers back there, over here, teenagers and younger kids over here. It affects people when you sin. It's not just you. You're like, I can handle it. I can get over it. No, it's not just you that it affects. It affects those around you. Sometimes it'll affect them before you. 36 men died before Achan was judged for his sin. 36 families were affected by Achan's sin long before Achan himself was. They died before anyone even knew what happened. 
So you may not feel the consequences of sin. And this applies to us as adults too. To us as moms and dads and, and grandmas and grandpas and, and just Christians in general. They, when we sin, it may not affect us right away. We may not see judgment. We may not see any kind of consequences for our sin. But it might affect other people before it even affects you. And they may not even understand why things are happening. And it's your, it could be a relationship with them. It could be any number of things. 36 men died before anybody even knew the sin of Israel had been committed. It could affect your future. Sin will affect your future. Your ability to be used by God. You want, I mean, God can redeem anybody and anybody can be used for God. The worst hardened of sinner criminal in, in anything that they've ever done. God can still use them and may not be as in big of way. They might not be able to be a pastor of a church, right? But God can still use any human being to, to be for him. There are no limitations on what God can do. But your ability to do more for God can be limited by the sin that you have in your life today. And that goes for us as adults as well. Maybe we're set in our careers, we're set in our lives, we're, we're contributing to the church, we're serving in areas that we're serving in, and you know, we're, not, we're not looking to start a church, not that God couldn't do that with any of us, but we're not necessarily thinking about going to starting a church from scratch on our own, so we're not thinking about our ministry life in the future. But God is, wants to use us for his service in this church here, with each other here, but if we have sin... If we have things in our lives that, that are keeping us back, it's, those, it's, those stony, it's the stony ground, right? It, it's God gives us this seed and, and we were excited about it, but he can't, he can't get it deep enough in our hearts and rooted enough that we can do something because we got all this stuff in the way. Or it's the thorn and the thistles that God can't, he can't, it can't grow and blossom the way it should because all this stuff is just keeping it pinned down. And as, as adults... In this church, that could, we could, that could be us. And we can even get to the point where we get complacent and be like, yeah, I guess that's me. Oh, okay. I'll just come and I'll be. I can't do. I can't do what he does. I can't do what she does. Why are we okay with that? Why are we okay with not excelling in what God's work for us is? Why do we take the low rung of the totem pole, the low rung of the ladder, and say, this is my station, the lowest thing I can do for God, and that's fine. I don't need more. We don't live that part in our, any other part of our life. In our job, we want a promotion. We want higher pay. We do more. We work harder. And we all have good character because we're Christians and we know what God expects from us. So we work hard and we're the best employee where we are. And we try to do the most that we can do. And in our homes, we try to do good in our finances so we can pay our house off early, so we can give more to the Lord. And we try to get nice cars, nice houses, nice shoes, nice glasses, nice suits, nice things because we want those things. We want to excel. We want to do more. But when it comes to serving the Lord, we're like, yeah, I can, I'm good just sitting here. That's enough for me. Why? Why is that enough? Is God not worth it? Are new shoes that cost hundreds of dollars worth more than serving God? No. Not even close. Take the shoes off. Throw them in the trash. Scuff them up. Right, Carl? Just scuff up those white shoes. Get scuffs all over them. It's better to do that than not serve the Lord. Carl's got real nice shoes. Don't step on his toes. Don't scuff those shoes. They're nice. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's something wrong with having nice shoes. Nothing wrong with having nice shoes, nice clothes, nice things. Nothing wrong with that. My point is, is we live our life and are driven for those things. But when it comes to things of the Lord, eh, I'm good. 
I'll sit here. I'll, I'll take in. I may even wave my hand once in a while and be like, hey, man, that's good. Think of my heart, that's good. May even come pray once in a while. But don't ask me to teach a science class. No, 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 no. Don't ask me to work in the greeters ministry. I'm, I'm too shy. Don't, don't ask me to work up in the sound booth. Don't ask me to do anything. I'm not, I'm not ready to do more. I'm just, my personality is not that way. Yeah, okay, overcome those things. Working for God and doing things for God is way better than anything, anything else we can invest our time in. Way better. So there's a price for the things that we do or don't do. There are prices for that. It can affect your future. And when you have sin in your life, and it can affect your service for him or your family's future. And this is the thing. We, we're very selfish. I don't know if you know that. As human beings, we're selfish. Even the least selfish, humblest of people, we like ourselves. We invest in numero uno. Our comfort, our care is, is most, most priority for us. But our family's future could be affected by the sin in your life. Think of Aiken's family. They, his whole family's future and everything that they had failed and was destroyed because of his sin, his disobedience. Your family could fail to live up to their potential, their godly potential, because you've just got to have that sin. You can't give victory over that sin. And your kids might pay for it. Now, God can, can use anybody with any set of parents, good or bad, God can overcome. I'm never limiting what God is able to do with any human being. But as a parent sitting in this room, God can, you're, you might, by your sin, the things that you can't overcome, your anger, your frustration, your whatever, in, you know, oftentimes we think, well, I, I haven't killed anybody, I don't cuss, I don't drink, so I'm pretty good, you know. Yeah, but what about the sin of anger? Do we, how do we yell at each other, yell at our kids, our, our temper tantrums, right? Our depression, the things that we just don't trust God on, our lack of faith. Now, I, I'm not sitting here trying to, to, to dismiss any of the, the issues that we might have in our lives, but God gives us everything. And when we have things in our life that limit us, that we can't overcome, we can affect our family's future, them reaching their potential because of our inability to overcome those things that are in our life. It will affect our future. Again, it may affect our, our family's future. So who's going to obey? Who will, who will pay? And then who will have faith? It kind of goes. It kind of goes. Who will have faith? Achan knew what God said about the accursed things. There's, there's no doubt about it. He knew. He was aware. Whether he thought he could get away with taking them, as if God wasn't that serious about it, or he thought that God maybe was withholding, like we mentioned already, hold, withholding things from him. I don't know what Aiken's reasoning was, how he justified it in his mind. But either way, he sinned. Because God said don't, and he did. He caused much suffering for his family, suffering for his nation, for his people. So what is it in your life? What is it that you don't have the faith, enough faith to overcome, that overcomes your faith, how is your sin life? What is, what is your sin life that overcomes the faith that you have in the Lord, that you just can't overcome it? Your faith isn't big enough. Do we think that the sin we harbor and hold on to is something God is just going to overlook? And I, I don't know if we ask that question, we probably would say, well, no. But we hold on to it, harbor it, and act in a way as if we believe that, yes, he is going to overlook it. That, that sin's not that big of a deal. Again, it's not a huge sin. Right? It's not a big out-in-your-face sin. 
Or, or maybe we don't even care about the sin that we have. It really doesn't bother us because whatever. We're just sinning. It doesn't bother us. We enjoy it. We like it. We don't even care what God thinks about it. I've been there. Not, it, not something I like to be in, not something I like to admit, but I've been there in my life where there was sin in my life and I didn't care really what God thought about it because I liked it that much. Whether it's music, and I, I struggled with music. As a high school student, even going into college, I struggled with bad music because I liked it. I liked the way it made me feel. I liked the sound that it made, and I enjoyed it. And, and honestly, I thought it made me cool, right? Because I was a Christian kid, grew up in a Christian home, and I worked around people that listened to the wrong kind of music. And then when I found out that this is the kind of stuff I liked, I didn't like all their stuff, but I liked this stuff. I was, and we back in those days, we got these things called CDs, compact discs. They're little plastic round things, and they're shiny. And you put them in this slit in your car, and it goes, and then it plays music. I know you didn't have to download anything, no streaming, nothing. There was no, no Apple Music, no iPods, none of that stuff. But so you go find these cool CDs at Walmart, and you buy them without your parents' knowledge because you have a car and some money now. And then you keep these CDs either in the trunk of your car or you hide them in your closet. You put them somewhere that no one goes looking. And when you're free and you're by yourself, you listen to that kind of music. And you rock out to that music or you just feel the, feel the music and it makes you feel good. But in your heart, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and when I say you, I mean me, it drained on me. And so I played it more to drown out the Holy Spirit telling me, what are you doing? You idiot. God, Jesus died for this. He died for you to listen to this music that's blasphemous, that takes God's name in vain, that gets you to be emotional and physical, and all it cares about is the, the now. It has no spiritual, any implication at all. For positive, for sure, there's probably some negative spiritual implications in some of the music I listen to. And I struggled with it for a long time. Struggled with the wrong kind of music. So much so that when, I, when God finally got a hold of me on it and told, and I mean, my parent, my dad caught me. You're, don't hide stuff. Your parents will find it. Because your parents are praying and they're saying, Dear Lord, do not allow my son and my daughter to bring anything in this home or anything in the possession that you wouldn't let them have. If there is, help me to know where to look. And you know what? God will help them to know where to look. Because my dad found where this music was. And my dad is... Uh, You've, a lot of you have met him. He's been here before. Um, he's, he was not a patient man when it comes to things that you're not supposed to do. Um, and so I, I had to break those CDs in his sight. And he had conversation with me about why are you listening to this junk, this garbage? You see what these words say, what they mean, what the music is. And he was, he was logical about it and tried to explain it to me. But he found those things and, you know, I didn't care. And God really had to get a hold of my heart to, to make me see. And if I stayed with that stuff, if I stayed with that music, I guarantee you I wouldn't be standing here right now. No way. Because that stuff is gonna pull, would pull my heart away from the Lord. I probably wouldn't even be in church. Honestly, if I kept listening to that kind of music, my life would be completely different. Based on music, you say? 100% absolutely. It's corrupting. It'll corrupt your soul. Don't start with it. Guys and adults, don't go back to it. If it's in your past, don't go back to it. 
Don't even go say, ah, remember the days. There's nothing good back there. It's not worth going in back to and trying. Don't start with it. Keep away from it. It's devilish. It's, sat- it's satanic. Even the soft stuff, it's satanic. It's not worth it. It'll affect your future. Sin has consequences. And you may not care like I didn't care in that moment. I'm so glad I got caught. I'm so glad my dad found it. I'm so glad that the God didn't say, I guess he's oh well and gave up on me. I'm so glad, glad God smote my heart about it and helped me to get rid of it. Because you might have sin in your life you just don't care about. You need to care about it. Because God cares about it. And unfortunately, that kind of attitude... Um, God does care about your sin. He hates it. He despises it. And he wants it out of your life. It cannot be tolerated. Sin cannot be tolerated. God will not tolerate sin. That's why Jesus died. Because he doesn't tolerate sin. He can't tolerate anything unholy. Or maybe we think that we're missing out on something. That God's keeping some things from us. So we can focus on what we think we don't have. Right, and, and we can go after those things and ha- try to have those things in our life. Or the sin in our life, we just can't overcome. We just don't know what to do about it. We can't overcome that sin and we just live with it. And so we live with this sin for decades. You start something as a teenager, 15, 16, 17 years old, and then you're 37. And 20 years have gone by and you're still dealing with the same sin. Right, whether it's music or other things, or it's, or it's a wrong heart, it's a wrong attitude, it's in the inability to have a prayer life, the inability to read God's word on a consistent basis, whatever those things are, you could struggle with it for decades. And decades can go by and you're still struggling with the same sin because you just can't overcome it. It's just there forever. Or we can trust God. We can trust God. We can trust that he has so much better for us. It's, I mean, it's hard to even put into understandable words because my brain doesn't really fully understand how much better God has things for us if we just get out of his way and just follow him. We quit trying to block him. We quit trying to stomp down that soil and make it harder. We pull the weeds out. We dig the stones out and we allow God to to work. The things that he has for you when, when you allow him to work are so much better than the music or the things that you struggle with. He's got a family for you. Guys, believe it or not, you are going to grow up. You're going to grow probably mostly out of the awkward phase, probably not completely. I understand. I have some of that still too. But you're going to grow out of the awkward phase. You're going to find a girl. She's for some reason going to think you're handsome and charming. So work on those things. Um, And she's going to fall in love with you. And you're going to fall in love with her. And God's going to bring you a spouse that he has designed for you since you were born, since before you were born. He's going to bring that spouse to you. Same thing for you, ladies. You're going to find some, eventually, guys will be attractive. They'll be handsome. It'll take a while. They have to get through some things. You understand. But they'll they'll find this handsome man, and you'll fall head over heels for him. And you'll follow him to the end of the earth. You'll do whatever he says, hopefully because he's following God. And God has designed this to happen And God will give you a family. He'll give you a a marriage relationship that cannot be described how good a marriage relationship can be when you're honoring God with your relationship. It's blissful. It's, It's amazing. It's peaceful. It's joyous. It's the best relationship you can have. And adults, if your marriage doesn't sound like this, you can work on that too. Those are things God wants for you to be blissful, 
That's not just a fairy tale word. That's a real actual word that you can actually have in your life, in your marriage now. But God wants you to have that kind of a relationship. And then kids will come along and they'll look just like you. And everyone will say, look at this mini so-and-so. And, -so, and it'll be amazing. You'll love it. And you'll just love them to death. You'll hold the little baby back there like Brother Jesse is and Miss Leah. And you'll just, you won't be able to describe the love and feelings you have for another human being when a child comes into your life. And God has that for you. But you can't get rid of the music. But you can't get rid of that sin that you can't get rid of off your tablet, off your computer, off your phone. You can't overcome that sin of bitterness and anger towards the other girls that you know. Or the people that are mean to you. And it consumes you. And it, it just, everything consumes you. And you miss God's call for your life. And your life is completely different. But God has so much more for you. So much better for you than a Babylonian garment and some silver and some gold. He wants to bless your family, bless our church. He wants to bless and grow and use us at Eastside more than I think we understand for this city, for this area of the country. God wants to use us, but our sin can prevent those blessings for ourselves, for our family, and for this church. If you say the sin in your life doesn't affect anybody else, it can affect this church. And are, you, are we okay with that? Are you okay? Do you need that sin so much in your life that you're okay with affecting how God blesses this church? Because Achan's sin affected an entire nation. It wasn't just him. It wasn't even just his family. It was a whole nation. God would not bless the nation because of Achan's sin. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. No matter what it is, it's not worth it. We have our Lord's service supper coming here. Lord's service supper? Lord's supper service coming in two days. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. And Pastor already talked about this. And, and this was on my mind even before the connection was made in my mind about the Lord's supper coming up. God tells us when the Lord's supper comes to, to be clear of our, our conscience, our sin, confess our sin, to have no ill towards each other, towards him, to have nothing in between. There's your song, Brother Jacob. Have nothing in between, right? That, that we're open. That we're open with him and we're ready to go. That's coming up here in a couple days, right? It's not worth hanging on to those sins to come to a Lord's service or Lord's Supper service and harbor those things in our lives, in our hearts. To have the soil so hardened that truth can't penetrate, that we're unwilling to give up that sin, have so many rocks that are preventing it from growing in our life, have so many weeds and thistles that we just don't even care about God's things in our life. We don't care about his commands. We don't care to obey. We need to remove those things from our lives. We need to get rid of them. Eastside Baptist Church, we all, we all struggle with sin, and we aren't going to make a commitment to get rid of sin and never struggle again, but we need to be on top of it. Like the pastor says, keep a short list. And I think we, we're like, that's a good thing. That's an that's awesome idea in theory. But then when it comes to practicing and actually doing it, we probably aren't, if, unless, unless you're not like me, we're probably not that good at it. Because I'm not that good at that. I'll let it go way too long before I confess the things that I am not supposed to be or do to him. Get them out. Turn to him. Trust him to know what your path is. Trust him that what he has in store for you is better than any sin you have in your life. Trust him to direct your way. He deserves it. God himself deserves because of the sacrifice he gave for you to live for him. 
It's not a lot. It's our, it's our basic service. It's, it's the least, literally the least we can do is give everything we have to him. That's the bottom rung because of what he did for us. He deserves it. Your family deserves it. Your family deserves you to get rid of that sin, to take care of it, to deal with it, to, to nip it in the bud, to, to ask the Lord to search your heart, to search that, that soil. That might be good soil, but find out if it can get better. Find out if you can produce more. God deserves this. Your family deserves you to search that out. And this church deserves that. What this church can accomplish by what God has in store for us, not because we're awesome, we're people. We're just everyday Midwestern people. And that's good if we are willing to do what God wants us to do and willing to allow him to work through us. But if we've got things in our life, if we've got sin in our life, it'll inhibit us. It'll keep us back and it could keep this church back. God wants us to deal with those things. He's not content with them being in our lives and neither should we be. Neither should we be. Let's stand. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.